Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Football Digest with myself, Ned Keating. I'm joined today by Chris McKenna and Matt Dunn as we look ahead to the Community Shield this weekend but also run the rule over the latest from the transfer window we will come on to that later on in the show though as I said there uh, at the top we're going to look ahead to Sunday's Community Shield uh, between the top two sides in England from last season Manchester City winning the Premier League and the FA Cup as well as obviously the Champions League Arsenal into the Community Shield by virtual finishing second behind this all conquering Manchester City side but Chris, this, despite the fact that Arsenal didn't pick up any silverware last year, we were treated to a brilliant title race between these two sides uh, up until probably the last couple of weeks of the season where Arsenal started to fall to, which allowed City to win, uh, win the title with a couple of games to spare. But it's still a, a mouthwatering crash, at least hopefully anyway, between two sides that we expect to be up there again, challenging for the title this season. Yeah, obviously it's a curtain razor as they call it. Um, but it, yeah, it's a, it's a little insight and maybe to what business they both done this summer, what any changes they're going to make. Um, it's always a funny one because we look at the community shield and, oh, well, what's going to happen and blah, 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 and people will go mad over the results no matter what way. But we just remind people of the last, last season, uh, Darwin Nunes looked electric as he came off the bench in Liverpool 1-3-1 and uh, Herling Haaland was mocked online for missing a few sitters. It wasn't actually a sign of things to come, but... No, look, these were the two best teams last season. Um, without Arsenal, the, the, the Premier League would have been very, very dull. Um, City would have really ran away with it, but they at least made it interesting until the last few weeks when that City machine really clicked into gear. So, look, everybody's excited, I suppose, to see Declan Rice playing um, in Arsenal colours. Um, I know he's played a few friendlies, but up against City, another team that are interested in him. And seeing what City are going to be like, obviously lost a couple of players as well. So going to be interesting. Um, it is a friendly, and I think some people do kind of lose sight of that. But 
it's something. Look, people are desperate for to see the domestic stuff back, and this is the first glimpse of it. Matt, in terms of the two sides as well, very different pre-season campaigns in terms of where they headed. Uh, Manchester City going out east to to, uh, to the Far East and out to Japan, spending a lot of time there, and Arsenal going west instead and, and out to the USA. In terms of the pre-season campaigns, is there anything that stood out from either of those sides that, that might be a good point to ahead of the new season? Of course, this is, as Chris said, they're pretty much a glorified friendly on Sunday, but in terms of the pre-season campaigns so far, has, has anything stood out from either side? I mean, literally just that. I mean... Manchester City beat Bayern Munich, lost to Atletico. Arsenal lost to Manchester United, beat Barcelona. You know, the, you know, 5-3 winning against Barcelona, you'd be excited if it wasn't being played the other side of the world between teams that are just going through the motions at this stage. Uh, I watched uh, Arsenal at Monaco, uh, play Monaco last night. Um, again, it was it was a sort of an A, a side, really, uh, rather than the full team. But it was a chance to see Declan Rice close up. He looks like he could be quite an interesting cog in Arteta's uh, machine because I think Arteta plans to use him a bit more creatively than he's been used so far in his career. Uh, he played further forward uh, than we expected last night. Um, uh, and I think as well as that defensive midfield role that he plays for England and has pretty much played for West Ham, you know, he does give them other options against perhaps the lesser teams, uh, which is where Arsenal are going to need to pick up the points again if they're going to challenge City again. Um, yes, I mean, they they won, each won one, drew one, lost one, whatever, you know. I mean, so won one, lost one in terms of City um, pre-season. But, uh, yeah, Sunday's game, I mean, it, Josco Guardiola, it's almost like he's, Guardiola's determined to get him in after Sunday um, because he doesn't want the pressure of putting him straight in to a game that people make rash judgments on him. Um, he's keeping his powder dry for the, the season proper. Um, he will be a huge signing. There are a lot of gaps in that City team. Uh, and, you know, you kind of think that Pep Guardiola knows what he's doing. Uh, but in the, in the same spirit as Fergie back in 1995, he's losing a, a lot of his senior team this summer. Um, that's hence the desperation to keep hold of Kyle Walker as well. But, you know, it's interesting to see, you know, you expect Foden, Grealish, uh, Ake to continue to develop. Uh, and there's been signs of that over the summer. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a measure of, of how much Guardiola is right to trust the players he's got um, to see just how easily they canter away this season. Because I think this will be their toughest time of defence yet. Yeah, Chris, I suppose we should continue on the theme there that Matt spoke about, about the changes at Manchester City this summer, their, their transfer business so far, um, you know, as Matt said, they're losing key players. Ilkay Gundogan, the, the biggest loss, obviously, the captain um, in, in Captainton to the treble last season, uh, joining Barcelona on a free transfer. Yes, they brought Mateo Kovacic in, uh, in in midfield, but you kind of wonder in terms of levels whether or not Kovacic can replace uh, uh, Gundogan, certainly from my point of view, at least anyway. Riyad Mahrez as well, departing for, our, uh, for, for another side out in Saudi Arabia, like so many this summer. Um, again, not a, a, a real key player and, and not playing as big a role as he did last season in previous campaigns. But to me, again, that kind of seems like they're a little bit light in midfield. In terms of you looking at this Manchester City side on the whole, yes, they're going to bring in Josco Vardio shortly. And again, whether or not that's before Sunday or after Sunday, as Matt said, they're probably more likely the latter. It just feels that there's still plenty of work to do for Manchester City in this transfer window. And 
and yes, you know, we're 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 talking about the start of August here. There is still a a, a, a long way to go before the transfer window shuts. But a lot of the other clubs seem to have got their big business done early on this summer. It seems that Manchester City are, are going to go into not just the Community Shield, but the start of the Premier League with with plenty of work still to do in the transfer window. Definitely, I do agree with that. And obviously, I think Gunnigan is the biggest loss, um, not just for his captaincy. He, he he made a habit of towards the end of last season scoring big big goals. Um, and winning games when when that title race was tight, um, and he, he, I don't know if Kovacic can do that. I don't think that's really his kind of thing to do. But look, Pep Guardiola is a genius with players, and he's he's worked wonders with different players and changed the way they play. Is Kovacic a bit old to be doing that with? Maybe, but yeah, Mares losing lots, but as you kind of said there, Phil Folding towards the end of last season was barely playing. Now, Phil Folding would walk into any other Premier League team. Um, he, he's a generational talent um, and he wasn't even getting a look in at um, Man City. So I think that's where players like that will, will kind of get more chances now. Um, there was There is more business to be done. I think City will sign at least a couple more um, after Gavardio. Um, who, by the way, is designing one of the best defenders in Europe for in a, a huge fee. Um, the best young defender, certainly. He, he might not be at that level yet. So they're strengthening at the back, um, which means that you're going to see more probably of John Stones in midfield. Um, I, I think they'll sign at least one, if not two more, before the window is over. So I don't think they'll start or finish the transfer window any weaker than they were last season. The only thing I think with replacing Gundogan, I think is near enough impossible. They can get goals in other ways, but he had this big game mentality and some of the other players are going to kind of have to step up into that. And obviously they've got plenty of goals in Haaland and stuff, but Gundogan just had this knack of finding a goal when the game was like tight, when the chances weren't falling and falling to Haaland, he would find a goal. Um, and that's very hard to replicate. And I don't think Kovacic will do that, but other players in that attacking line will have to step up and replace that. And it's key, I think, that they keep Bernardo Silva. Um, he's obviously one that's been angling for a move this summer, but I think they're kind of battling there to keep him because they know that he's a bit of a, a player who pops up with those goals as well. He did against Real Madrid um, in, the, in the Champions League semi. So that's one that they, they must keep as well, um, as well as Kyle Walker, I believe. Matt, in terms of Manchester City as well, going into the new campaign, I'm not going to say that they're going to have no hunger at all to win any trophies, but the dream for them was always to win the Champions League. There was always so much pressure on them to do that. They've done it now. They've done it in a way in which they won the treble as well. Of course, they missed out on the League Cup. Who'd have thought Nathan Jones would have stopped the quadruple uh, with Southampton last season? But is there, you know, perhaps for this City squad, perhaps because there has been so much weight behind the scenes on winning the Champions League and that they've done the treble, it's very hard to replicate that, of course. And we saw Liverpool, you know, coming so close to doing the quadruple themselves the season before and trying to match those levels last season and they couldn't and, of course, missed out on the Champions League. I'm not saying Manchester City aren't going to have any hunger to win any trophies this season, but you kind of wonder whether or not that desire where it gets to those tight matches because a lot of that squad will kind of go, well, we've done it there. We've, we've won that trophy and yes, they'd like to add more to it, but that kind of, those extra little moments in those tight matches, you wonder if it's going to be there as much as it was last season. I go back to one of my favourite pundits, um, Graham Souness, who without any shade or sense of appalling um, impartiality, still says that the measure of being a great club 
is to win the European Cup Champions League twice, which obviously he did as a player um, with Liverpool uh, and now City are looking to do. Uh, and I think that's true. I think it is a measure of Manchester City having done what they've been trying to do for so long. Can they go and do it again? You know, that that is what is going to be the measure of the, their mentality. Guardiola has always driven that into his players. You'd think it was in there. I don't see any sort of letting off just because, you know, that that they've done it finally once. Yeah, in the same way we said the same about the Premier League and now they're rattling off year after year sort of thing. Um, the only question mark is, is whether the club's determination is still there, letting some of these players go, particularly to Saudi Arabia, when they've still got some decent Premier League lifetime left in them. Um, you know, it, it does seem a bit strange that that there doesn't seem to be any new thrust. I mean, perhaps Josco Guardiola will, will will spark that and we'll see a, a late flurry of activity. But I think the mentality of the regime in general is probably more a question than that, the individual players. And, and it'll be interesting to see how hard they hit the floor running uh, well, when the season starts. Chris, just moving the focus onto Arsenal now. Um, and obviously they finished runners-up to, to Manchester City last season, pushed them very, very hard. But I think what told for them in the end was was a lack of depth, really. They suffered injuries uh, to, to key players at the wrong time. It kind of looked like they kind of ran out of steam a little bit, I think, at the end. Whereas obviously if they had the depth, they maybe could have rotated perhaps a little bit more and not suffered the fatigue as much. Do you think they've addressed that in this summer window? I know, you know, they've already brought in Kai Havertz, Declan Rice, Urien Timber, looking like uh, David Wright could be joining them as well. And that's something I want to discuss with Matt in a second because he wrote a brilliant piece about that earlier in the week. Um, but in terms of Arsenal's summer so far, have they added the depth that they've needed? I know they let Granit Xhaka leave as well, so you're kind of trying to replace him. But have they got the depth now to, to go on potentially and, and win the title? It's, it's not even just having the depth to win the title now it's because they have to compete on more than one front I think last season because they were kind of surprised title challengers people kind of was like well, well they've just got to go for the league like this is an opportunity presented itself it looked at stages in the season that City went fully at it I know that and we ended up looking very silly at the end but there was stages in the season where you thought oh maybe City have dropped a bit here Liverpool have dropped off this is a chance that's come early for Arsenal. They've got to just go for it. So nobody kind of minded that they they basically tossed away the other competitions. This season, they can't do that. It's the Champions League. You can't just play the reserve team in it. You can't play the younger players. You've got to give it your full. So they have to be playing the big names um, twice a week now. So that's going to be a lot more pressure on them. Have they added enough depth? I don't actually think so. They've added some real good quality. I think in getting, obviously, Declan Royce is a huge... A huge improvement in that midfield. Um, Timber Timber's probably the depth at the back. Um, I think he could be a starter there, which means, yeah, if somebody drops out, that that's a great, a better backup than Rob Holden has been. Um, but where I think they're still lacking is maybe in attack. Obviously, used the sweet that Gabriel Jesus is missing for a few weeks. We don't know exactly how long that is. Is Eddie Nketi good enough to step in? Is Kai Havertz now going to not be in midfield? Is he going to be pushed forward like he was at Chelsea? Like That's where I think they need to address. Um, and without cutting across the keeper chat, is, is spending 40-odd million or whatever they're going to have to spend on a keeper what they need to do? 
or should they be putting that into getting a better forward who's either going to challenge Jesus or he's good enough back up that when Jesus is injured that they can rely on it. And I know they, they played a lot of games last year without Jesus, but they, they need a goal scorer. They need somebody who's scoring regularly. And I'm not sure Eddie Nikita is, is that player. So I think they still need to add an attack, which is mad considering they have asked, they've spent almost 200 million. It's going to go over 200 million. I think that'll take out Ted to spending the 600 million. And I still, still think that's one position they're liking is in that kind of central forward role. Chris, just to, to stick on the striker role, could Falaren Balogun be the option there? Had a great season at, at Reims in, in France last year, but of course before that had a, uh, I wouldn't say underwhelming, but he hardly set the world on fire on a loan spell at Middlesbrough. Now I know, of course, you know, in, in previous years and years gone by, Harry Kane was a, another player who, when he went out on loan to the various ranges of the English Football League, he, he rarely set the world on fire as well. You know, you speak to many Leighton Orient fans and they're still shocked he's gone on to achieve what he'd done after his loan spell there. But could Balogun be an in-house option for Arsenal to look at? A lot of talk around him this summer about whether or not he, he should move on and, and leave Arsenal in, in search of kind of regular game time. But perhaps a, an opportunity might present itself with Gabriel Jesus missing for a, for a few weeks at the start of the season. Uh, an opportunity might present itself for Balogun at Arsenal now. I think that the way that he's been talked about, I think if, if he's still there at the end of the window, then it's more not. Not desperation would be the wrong word, but it's more necessity that they've kept him. Um, I don't think um, that Arteta sees much uh, him being taken over in that forward role. So I think for the player, he should probably look to move on. But sometimes do chances do present themselves and maybe Jesus getting injured will be that chance and he'll come in and he'll score and he'll look good and then suddenly attitudes change towards him. But the mood seemed to be all summer that he would be getting sold. And it was just getting the right fee for him. And if that fee comes in, then they'll move him on. Now, obviously, that fee hasn't come in yet. He's just got injured and Arsenal haven't bought in a forward yet. So, yes, the kind of stars might align for him to get a chance. But, again, is he good enough? Is he going to be quality enough to be scoring in Champions League games? Is he going to score the 20 plus goals a season that Arsenal will need from that role? I'm not quite so sure on that. 100%. He was asked, Arteta was asked specifically about Balogun last night and was told that his situation hasn't changed at all uh, in regard to the uh, Yegis' operation. So I don't think that's good news for him. Uh, I think he's very much on the on his way out. Matt, though, as, a, as I said earlier on, I was going to come to you about the goalkeeper situation at Arsenal. Something you've, you've uh, covered for, for us this week in terms of uh, Arsenal looking at David Raya. Uh, Aaron Ramsdale, you know, you'd say by and large he's done well for Arsenal, but back in the last season, two errors that contributed to them dropping five points and five points ultimately ended up being the difference between them and Manchester City. As Chris said there, though, is is £40 million on David Raya the right use of funds at this point? Because you look at, you know, and, they, and again, I agree with Chris, I don't necessarily think Arsenal have the depth required to challenge in the, in the Champions League as well. I've, I've, I've said it on this podcast quite a lot this summer that, Kind of, uh, and again, what Chris pointed to there, you can't play the kids on a Thursday night like you would do in the Europa League. It's now, you know, senior players playing Saturday, Tuesday, or, or Saturday, Wednesday, week in, week out. Is that depth there? I'm not sure. And, and do they really need to spend 40 million on the goalkeeper? Yes, Aaron Ramsdale's not had a good few months, but, you know, all goalkeepers, I think, go for a spell where, where things just seem to go against them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Aaron Ramsdale is a strong character and the very most, um, and he was certainly react to all this speculation 
Uh, he had a decent game, saved quite a few more shots uh, than he should have done against Monaco last night. But that's, again, a uh, big question mark over the heart of the Arsenal defence, which is still short of a, a title-winning defender. Um, the thing is with Arteta, he wants to build a team that can dominate from the back. And at times yesterday, uh, Aaron Ramsdale was kicking long from goal kicks. Um, he was a little bit sluggish on these turnover of possession. And, and Arteta has this vision of how he wants to, not only winning the league, but how he wants to win it. Uh, and if he's kind of got it fixed in his head, that he needs a goalkeeper like Raya, who Jürgen Klopp a couple of years ago said he had the passing range of a number 10. Um, if that's what he feels is necessary to build the dynamic, it's all about the dynamic and the, the shape and everything with Arteta. And, you know, he's had so much success in relying on that that you kind of forgive him the, the sort of obvious glaring omissions like a proper striker to back up or compliment Jesus and, a, you know, two proper centre-backs, which, you know, since since tired, you know, since the invincible season, yeah, Arsenal have pretty much lacked and they've still not addressed that problem. Um, then... You know, he, he but he has this vision that perhaps it won't be so important if we build up from the back and dominate teams, whatever. You know, it is a big signing in, in his mind, and I think what he has done with with the surprise title challenge this season, earlier uh, last season, he's built himself the credit with the Arsenal ball to say, you know, go with me on this one. Let me put together the the key cogs that I need to build an actual title winning side, uh, and you know, maybe we'll get lucky, maybe we'll go that extra sort of few games that we need to 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 actually get over the line but but yeah you're right there are glaring omissions in that Arsenal squad um which also need addressing and may still get you know taken care of before the end of August just to wrap up on the community shield here gents uh Yes, it's a glorified friendly, but there is still a trophy at stake or, or at least some sort of silverware at stake. So in time-honoured fashion, just wanted to get your predictions for Sunday's game. Chris, coming to you first, what what score is, is going to be? Who's going to be coming out on top here? Very, very hard to predict because you say the pre-season games where all over the place goals are conceded, but you don't know what teams are doing. You don't know what they're doing the day before in training sessions. They could be doing hard had running sessions, obviously definitely what we do before a big Premier League game. This will be a little tad more bit competitive. Uh, I'm actually going to go with um, an Arsenal win uh, 2-1, um, but not based on a lot. But I also think it will count very little towards the season and about five seconds into their first game, uh, the Premier League will be forgotten about. Unfortunately for Arsenal, I think Haaland has a little bit of unfinished business in the Community Shield. Uh, and I think he'll fancy a, a, an afternoon running against the Arsenal. Well, centre two anyway. Um, and I see it beat 2 0 City. As we teased earlier on at the top of the show, of course, we're going to touch a little bit on the uh, transfer market as well, if that's still being open at this stage. Um, Chris, I do want to come to a comment, though, that we've had in, first of all, this morning, of course, if you are listening along live, please drop in any comments and we'll be happy to answer them. And if you are listening to this back as a podcast, uh, send any comments uh, and questions our way and we'll try to answer them on the show. Uh, But one that we've received in from David Danzo uh, says, is Manchester United going to work with Harry Maguire this coming new season? Now, of course, uh, he's been stripped to the captaincy. Uh, West Ham have had a bid already rejected for Harry Maguire. 
Um, I suppose from my point of view, I think that we are coming to the final days and, and final weeks of Harry Maguire's Manchester United career. And I think for his sake, it's probably best to move on this summer. And I'd, I'd be surprised if he is still there come September. I just wanted to get your kind of thoughts on the whole situation. It's been a, a bit of a sorry summer so far for Harry Maguire. Yeah, it's sorry. And it's it shouldn't really come to this. So I, I've probably been one of Maguire's biggest critics at Manchester United. I don't think he's been good enough for them. And I just don't think he's dealt with, I suppose, the pressure of playing for Manchester United. And I don't think, there, I think there's a very good defender there. I just don't think the way Manchester United play, that it suits him, certainly not now with um, Ten Hag style of football. So he, he, for his career, he really needs to move on. But the problem is Manchester United won close to 40 million for him. Um, that's a sizable chunk. They're trying to get some of their investment back. But other clubs are looking at him going, well, he's 30. He's not played a lot last season. Um, he's had a lot of criticism, a lot of pressure. Yes, he's played okay for England, but is he worth forty million at his age now? Is he going to kind of get back to the the best Harry Maguire, which we saw flashes out on, on the Solskjaer's United, and obviously before that Leicester? But I think he has to move on. But I think he's going to struggle to find a new club because I don't think Manchester United are going to sell for less than forty. Certainly not less than thirty, and certainly not twenty million at West Ham. Be. And as the window goes on, their time to replace him is going to get less because United will need in somebody. I think as a, as cover, obviously Varane and Martinez are the are the, 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 the top pair in Lindelof's uh, behind Varane, and then Shaw is behind Martinez. So McQuire is basically the fifth choice centre back, and he. He needs to move on, but he would still need another body there if they sell him. So if it gets to too late in the window and Manchester United don't have time to sell him, then he might have to stay. And that's not going to be good for him. But I think Ten Hag will happily keep him because I think as long as he's not causing issues um, and the training ground, which it sounds like he acts like a proper professional, there's been no tantrum about losing the captaincy. So I don't think he'll be a problem in that sense. So Ten Hag would happily keep him. He's good to come on and see out games and just clear corners and get get his body in front of stuff. But for his career, he needs to go. But if he's going to have to go, he's going to have to be soon. I think Manchester United want to reinvest some of that money into another defender, whether that's a young guy to come in as backup or or an older hand and to kind of stay there and, and provide cover um, for that. And I don't think Johnny Evans would be that. Matt, just sticking with Manchester United here, though, and, and moving further up the field, uh, as we record this on Thursday morning, looks like they're uh, holding and, and, and closing in, sorry, on a move for uh, Rasmus Hoyland from Atalanta. Uh, at the age of 20, and looking at the other options that Manchester United currently have in the striker role, it, it looks like Hoyland is going to probably come in and be the man to lead the line. But I wonder whether or not at the age of 20, if he's a little bit too young, a little bit too green, perhaps, in his footballing career to, to have that pressure on him. You know, because this is a big club. It's an iconic position to be the striker, the leading striker for Manchester United. Um, and, I, and I just kind of, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's got a brilliant personality and we'll be told about that in, in the weeks to come. But you just kind of wonder whether or not this might be too much for such a young player at the start of his career. It's a case of you say Hoyland, we say Haaland, Hoyland, Haaland, let's call the whole thing off. I mean, I, I just sounds like they're trying to catch um, up with City uh, and land uh, an unexpected. I mean, Harlan arrived at the Premier League, similar age, but as a finished article, you know, you know, whatever we said, you know, 90 minutes in the community shield aside, you know, he was powerfully strong. He was going to hit the floor 
running and score lots of goals. Hoyland, I don't think has that uh, ability. I, he's not quite there, but the, I don't understand why a club like Manchester United hasn't made more of a play for someone like Harry Kane to to really finish. If they were, if they have realistic ambitions to win the title, then they need to be signing a top class, world class striker. And Hoyland isn't that yet, and and it's a lot to ask of a, a young striker to come and fill that gap, fill that void, score enough goals like Haaland did when you know City wobbled for a little bit at the start of the season. He still banged in the goals and got them over the line. Uh, and uh, yeah, had an incredible debut season. Uh, and I just think it's kind of like buying a, a, a Huey Vuitton handbag. You, yeah, you've almost got the name, you've almost got what you need, but you've not actually spent the full amount of money to, to, to go for, for, for the item that you need to, to actually become title challengers. And for all the Ten Hogs improved the side, turn the corner, that's not enough for United. They, they, they call themselves the biggest club in the world. You know, if if they are that, then they need to be challenging not only for the Premier League, they need to be challenging for the Champions League. And therefore, they need the very best strikers in the game. And perhaps Soylent will be that one one day, but he's not that yet. Uh, and, you know, it's I just think it's a big ask for a, for a young player to, to, to make up for the fact that they're, they're not prepared to really pull the guns out to go for the big signing. I kind of agree with Matt on that one, on a lot of that, on, on Kane especially. I don't get why they... I do kind of get... They're obviously being told that Daniel Levy's going to charge them even more than what Bayern Munich are being uh, told it's going to cost. So there is kind of that, and Kane is 30. Well, he is guaranteed goals. Now, if you make enough noise, like Bayern Munich are making noise, they're pushing Tottenham's hand. So Manchester United haven't done that really this summer. They kind of at the start of the summer, immediately took a back seat and said, look, we don't think we can get him. Um, Tottenham are going to want too much for another English club. They don't really want to sell to another English club. Maybe they haven't had the right noises from Harry Kane's people. Maybe he's thinking, well, Manchester United, yeah, I might win the league. I might um, do okay in the Champions League. If Bayern Munich, you know, he knows he's going to go all there and win a Bundesliga. He knows he's going to go there and win. Uh, or not win, but certainly with Harry Kane in their lineup, Bayern Munich will compete for the Champions League. Uh, that's not a guarantee that you know. But I suppose a reward to staying in the Premier League would be for him that he can score more goals towards that record, and he could also be the man who took Manchester United back, which I still think is a big attraction to a lot of people because of their history. But they've obviously moved on Hoyland, and when he was first linked with the club, it looked like very clever business because it, what it looked like it was they were going to get in this Hoyland for maybe 20, 30 million as a backup and as somebody who could learn from Harry Kane at 20 years of age, there's not a better striker you'd want to learn from. I mean, that would have been like some sort of genius move by Manchester United, which they don't pull off, which we should have known that doesn't happen at that club. That they bring in the young striker, they bring in the old guy to get them there now while the young guys are learning then to take over when Harry Kane slows down at 33, 34, whatever. But it's not. They've gone all the money seems to have gone on Hoyland. And that's a lot of weight on this young player's shoulders. But where the other weight is, it's on Eric Ten Hag. This is his player. He's pushed very hard for him. He's pushed him to spend the money like he did with Anthony. Now, there was a lot of negativity around Anthony last season. I still think there's maybe a player there 
He had a half, he scored some big goals last season, didn't get the numbers, but there's something there. Ten Hag's reputation's on him, but now it's also on Hoyland. Um, the club have given him what he wants, so if it doesn't work, it's all on Ten Hag's head. And that's a lot of pressure for the manager as well, as well as the young player with his feet. Matt, just before we wrap up this morning, I want to come back to you just more on, on Harry Kane. We, we've spoken about him there, obviously, at length and about uh, a slight confusion as to why Man United haven't gone for him, but of course he's been linked with Brian Muley quite heavily. His wife, by the sounds of it, has been out there looking at, at houses and schools already. Uh, of course, there was word about Paris Saint-Germain as well uh, being in for Harry Kane, but how do we see this saga unfolding? Um, of course, as a Spurs fan, I've, I've kind of got deja vu from two years ago from where uh, we, we held on to him amidst all of Manchester City's uh, attempts to try to sign him and, and we had him at the start of the season. And that was the word earlier in the week as well. If Harry Kane isn't sold by Tottenham's Oprah against Brentford, he's expecting to stay at Tottenham this season, which then obviously leads to the fact that he'll probably leave for free next summer so that Spurs then miss out on a big transfer fee. How, how do we see this one ending? Is it going to be wrapped up by that, that game against Brentford on August 13th? Hey, you referenced that, that saga two years ago, but I think that's very much part of what's going on this year. Um, I think he was badly let down by uh, Daniel Levy that summer. Um, he's decided that actually, ultimately, he's going to look after uh, himself, uh, make sure that he gets a deal that's right for him. And let's not forget, whoever Spurs tried to sell him to, Kane sort of agreed to go. So ultimately, all the cards now are in his hands. Um, there's talk in Germany about him trying to buy out his contract. I think that's leaning on him a little bit to try and make the miracle work. Um, leave your holdout for as much top dollar as, as he can. But uh, but ultimately, if, if, if the price is right, Spurs will be okay with that. You know, even at 85 million, I thought, you know, on September, you know, September the 1st, as the, the clock ticks away and Bayern Munich saying, well, we'll still give you 85 million for him. I think that would be right up Spurs' street rather than risk letting Harry Kane go for nothing. Um, but it's up to Harry Kane then, if he's made it up in his mind. The other thing is his, his pride as well. If Bayern Munich can't come up with the money that he thinks he's worth, and he sees himself as a 100 million striker looking at the rest of the, the way the world's transfer market's gone crazy. He's thinking, well, actually, if Bayern Munich don't rate me that much, I just want to knuckle down and play for Spurs for one more season and then and, and, and take it from there. Um, it, it's, it's, there are so many different uh, sort of moods to this whole transfer. There's The fact that it's all amicable is a sign that Spurs desperately actually need to sell because their default stance is, no, we're not going to talk to you until about nine o'clock on transfer deadline day. Um, the fact that they're having lunch you know, a couple of weeks before signs that shows that our Levy needs to hear what's there on the table. Um, Kane's message, he's not going to want to upset Spurs, but I think he's put in enough years you know, for the club and been let down enough by the hierarchy two years ago in particular, that, that he's entitled to, to sort of make sure he's looked after. Uh, and I think that, that the whole thing, yeah, he could make a statement on, um, on yeah, just at the end of the season, the head of that Brentford game, saying, right, okay, I'm staying for the rest of the season. That won't make Spurs happy. It won't make Bayern Munich happy. But if that's what Kane wants to do, it's entirely in his power. Uh, and, you know, and I don't think Spurs will hate him for walking away for nothing. 
but that they've he's kind of made it clear to everyone that if you want to get this done and you need the money spurs you need to accept a bit before that uh, and so it's so a kind of conscious in terms of his conscience he's in the clear so yeah it'll be interesting that's an artificial deadline but but one that in his mind i think it's quite important I and mean, he wants to see how much munich value him and whether spurs actually need to sell him I wonder if Harry Kane does uh, remain at Spurs and, and gets to January we've got the final six months for the contract that there's going to be plenty of, of chaos and stories flying around amongst uh, Europe's top clubs with with a player of his calibre available potentially for a free transfer. Who knows, we might even get a LeBron James-style the decision show uh, from Harry Kane as well uh, next summer. But Chris and Matt, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Really appreciate your time as always. Uh, of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest from the transfer window, uh, as well as the build-up and all the reaction uh, from Sunday's Community Shield across the Mirror, Daily Star and Daily Express websites. But for now, it's goodbye. Goodbye.